Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. On the show again, we have Eddie Caparucci, author of Going Deeper, uh, formerly the host of our Husband Material Virtual Retreat on Healing the Inner Child, and also, as some people may not know, the author of Removing Your Shame Label, Learning How to Break from Shame and Feel God's Love. Yes, Drew, that is what we all need. And thank you once again for having me. I always love coming here on your show and, and having these dialogues and conversations with you. People probably don't know, but you and I, we have these conversations off camera too quite a bit also. So, but I always enjoy doing this. Me too. And today we're talking about something that came up in a previous episode about the orphan spirit or feeling like an orphan rather than a beloved son. Yeah. What do you mean? What What is that? Yeah, what it basically is, is it is our, it's a woeful spirit that we have. Um, it is where we lack this sense of belonging. We feel distant from God. And really at the core is this fear of abandonment and rejection going on. Uh, but for most people, and again, I walked around with this orphan spirit for decades, you know, it's just this sense of negativity that we have. I, 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 would I refer to it as the void? It's a void. Something missing in my life. And, you know, we look at what, I mean, the word orphan, what's orphan? I mean, not having parent, parentless. Um, parentless is because there's abandonment of one form or another. Um, may not be parents who meant to abandon, but they did anyway, whether even if they died, there's a sense of abandonment that comes with that, or a sense of rejection, parents who reject. And with that, again, as I said, the spirit becomes hurt. It becomes um, hardened after a while because there's nothing feeding it. It's not being fed for us. So that basically, in a nutshell, gives you an idea of what the orphan spirit is. Yeah, it's not being fed. It's it's feeling like I'm starving on the one hand. Yeah, uh, we are. We are starving. But but that'll, that'll go to a later point that I was going to bring up is the fact that then how do we go to feed that sense of starvation? And in many times, in many cases, what that's going to be is latching on to behaviors that are destructive. But yet, again, they're feeding us. So that's part of what goes on. But yes, it is. It's like, you know, it, I, I'm not being nurtured with what I should be. And that is the love and acceptance of people and of God. And you may even, as you become an adult, feel like, yes, my wife loves me, my wife, my wife accepts me. But that orphan spirit within us believes that's not going to last. Yeah, it's almost like this invisible barrier that prevents me from receiving love, even though I want it so badly. 
Correct. That's an excellent point. You're right. It is. What what it is is the wall that we put up. It's the wall. And and when we have the wall, the wall's out here. And we're not going to let anybody in here. And it's such a dilemma. It's such a dilemma. Because on the one hand, feeling orphaned means feeling needy. And yet, I can't depend on other people to meet my needs. That's right. So therefore, we don't go to other people to meet their needs. I've actually, I just uh, had a conversation with a client earlier this morning whose mother, father, mother divorced when he was about two. And his mother was always gone. His mother would go away for weeks, sometimes months at a time and with his grandmother. He never knew where his mom was. Um, so it's always that lack of of uh contact but whenever she came home what he came to understand and learn was he would be very very cautious not to be needy to her not to ask too much of her because he was so fearful she would run away again well you know what he's struggling right now in his relationship with his wife and part of that struggle is when his wife the conversation starts to get a little, you know, uh-oh, is it going to go wrong? He will back up and just start to maybe change the conversation or whatever versus going deeper and trying to probe and be curious. He stays away from that because there's the fear that if I if I need more from her, she's going to exit and she's going to pull further away from me. And I just want to validate that because at one time that was true. And for all of us who are struggling with the orphan spirit, at one time we were orphaned. Even if it wasn't literally, we felt that way for a reason. Yeah. And, and the reason most often is that we did not get what we should have gotten from our caregivers. Uh, we didn't get a sense of comfort when we needed that. We didn't feel valued when we were like at that point when we say, hey, look at me. Do you notice me? You see, and it's like, no, didn't. Maybe there's the lack of physical touch Um, and maybe the fact that maybe we didn't feel that we were heard. We didn't have a voice and we were ignored. But most importantly, if we don't bond, the bonding doesn't happen. And this goes to the heart of what my third book will be that I'm working on that's going to come out early next year, Why Men Struggle to Love. Okay, and, it, and it's about that. It's about we do not get the tools, we do not get the resources we need at a young age so that we can engage in an emotional relationship. We just don't know how to really do it. We don't know how to do it, but we desperately want it. And we're also afraid of it. Yeah. Can you see the whole dilemma, Drew? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but see, that's where you and I, this is where we come in and working with men to teach them, hey, you have to take that fear, that that emotional discomfort you have about because you want it, but you're afraid to go get it. You have to hold on to it and yet move forward anyway and seek it. And that that's That's our job that we need to be able to teach men to do that because we too struggled at that point. I still struggle at time. It's like, ah, uh, do I really want to go there? I don't know. That might get really bad. And you know, that's, that looks like a really could turn into an inferno. Uh, I think I'll just leave it. Let it drop. Cause it's terrifying because if I really 
allow someone else to see my need and to hear my heart as ugly and messy and broken as it is and the things that I hate about myself, if I give them access to that part and then they react like my caregivers did, then it's just going to feel even worse. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty much done because you're going to distance yourself so much because then what it does, it reinforces once again the idea of I can't trust. Yeah, and it didn't work again. I tried again in another friendship with a guy who I thought was going to be there for me and it didn't work. I went back to my wife and I knew that this was going to be difficult and triggering, but I took the risk and she shut down. All right, so no more. Push the wall back out and let's just go on our way. And now I have to go back to finding other things to feed me. That's the essence of an orphan. I need to be the one. I can't depend on other people. So I need to be the one who's going to look out for me. Right. But they struggle. They struggle to feel desired. They struggle to feel wanted. They struggle to feel loved. And that's not just by the people who surround them, but it's also God. Because again, we go back to the idea of what occurred when we were younger. We don't blame our caregivers when we're that age. We're blaming ourselves. It's my fault. There's something. If I've only, as I go back to my other client, I said, whose mother was only God. If I only I was a better boy, if there was only something different about me, she would be here all the time loving on me. But that must mean that I'm not lovable, that she can just leave me at any time. There's something wrong with me. I'm defective. Well, guess what? Then we take that same feeling that we have about ourselves and we project them onto God and say he feels that way too. He has to feel that way. And again, I, for most people, it's like, well, I can't see him. I can't really talk to him. I can't touch him. I can't hear him. So, yeah, I guess he's so distant and so far away. He really doesn't care. He's like everyone else. He never accepted me. I've always been abandoned by him. He can't possibly love someone like me. And so therefore, my life feels incomplete. That's the void that I talked about. I walked around for years. I would say it. I would always say it. I was like, oh, I have this void. I have this void. I have this void. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. And it was that orphan spirit within me, that very troublesome, woeful spirit that was just feeding the negativity. There are some people who believe that the, the, the orphan spirit is actually demonic, that Satan uses it to come into our lives and take over, and therefore to continue to keep us in this dreaded place. Yeah. I could see that as Satan or even other abusers coming in and taking advantage of this little boy within us. Now, I don't go to that extent with it, and I'm, I'm not going to say it doesn't happen, but to me, I think it's more about what goes on here. 
if what's in my head. Now, could Satan play with that? Yes. Does he do that? Yes, he does. But again, you know, we we can be able to manage and control this and control our thoughts. So we've talked about the problem. That's two people who know this very, very well. Can you now talk more about what needs to happen in our heads, in our hearts for us to heal? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, you need to uh, recognize that, you know, God doesn't want us to feel like orphan spirits. Doesn't want that in our lives. And I am trying to remember the verse, I think it's John 14, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's in 12, 14, where Jesus said, um, I will not leave you orphans. What he says, that I will not leave you orphans. I apologize if I got the verse wrong. Um, but the solution is to begin around the idea of recognizing first and foremost that this spirit is there, that our spirit is hurting. That's huge. That there's right, absolutely. There's something that's not um that's not complete in our lives. And then second step is that we need to be very prayerful about change, to be praying to the Holy Spirit. Okay, and to the Father to show me what is true versus what I perceive as true. You know, we look at those who have the orphan spirit. We'll see God as God is the master. Those who have a Holy Spirit will say God is the loving father. Okay. You know, when it comes to our sense of purity, okay, those who have the orphan spirit will, will be more of the mindset, I must be good. Where those who have the Holy Spirit was, I seek to be holy, set apart from the rest. Because I'm a prince of the king. Correct. Right. That's what I always say. You're the prince of a king. And that's what sets us apart. We shouldn't be wearing the labels of an addict. You know, that's not what we should be using. We should be wearing the true label, you know, because of what it is. You know, those who, you know, who have the orphan spirit, they're going to run to the sources of comfort, such as addiction or busyness or just trying to find some other form of escapism. Whereas those who have the Holy Spirit, they're just going to rest in God's presence. So you're talking about a move between anger and sadness and a sense of peace. So therefore, to be in prayer about that, to say, Lord, let me see what is truth. What is your truth versus what I decided on my own at a very young age is true. Um, and that point, then after that, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to be able to start to take over the transformation of our lives. And part of that is making sure I'm completely surrendering everything to God. And therefore, then to finally be you know, this idea of I'm going to live in the Spirit. 
I've got to live in the spirit. I've, I've, and I've got to live in the Holy Spirit. You know, I've got to go and I've got to look at Galatians, you know, you know, chapter 5, 22, 23. I'm going to look at what did the Holy, what does the fruit of the spirit look like there? And that's love, joy, peace. It takes us all the way through to self-control. And, and have my life that way to understand that God truly accepts and loves me unconditionally. Unconditionally. It doesn't matter what the what the event, the other events that happened in my life, it doesn't matter. I have to be looking more toward the things of that are above than I do the things that are here on earth. Because again, this is all over like that. I know it doesn't feel like that at times. It feels like it drags out forever. It's going to be gone, and then it's going to be eternity. And, and, and so, therefore, for me, that's where my focus has been for the last 20 years or so. What is to come while I do the work I need to do here? Um, and in some cases, people may have to go and deal with their anger. They may have to call someone like you to, to talk about, you know, what had happened to them, the process those pain points that they suffered at the hands of others. And it sometimes just, it, it was, they weren't bad people who did it. Okay. It, it, but it was like people just didn't have the tools themselves to help you, but therefore you they need to process some of that pain so that they can, again, change their viewpoint about the way God sees them. There's so much rich theology here that God is a good, good father. And he has sent us his son, Jesus Christ, who said after spending his time here on earth, loving, healing, refathering, he said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will give you the comforter, the advocate, the Holy Spirit within us who is now doing the exact same things that Jesus did, except within us. Isn't that incredible? Right, it is. And that's why even Psalm 68, verse 5, it is, I am the father of the fatherless, I'm the defender of widows. It is God in his holy dwelling. So he talks about it. It's there's several places throughout scripture where he's saying, for those of you who don't feel that, you did get the nourishment, the comforting, the acceptance that you thought you were going to get while here. I have it for you. Yes. And that has been probably the most helpful thing for me in healing my own orphan spirit is, is receiving that love from God. And it often comes through other people. Sometimes I'm trying to latch on to somebody or cling to somebody or look to somebody to, to be my father figure or nurture me, mother me. When in reality, it's not that person who can heal me. It's God who sometimes does it through those people. Exactly. They do it right. He'll use other people to be able to do that for us. You know, that's a wonderful thing, but you have to then be open to accepting that. And if the orphan spirit is so hardened, you won't accept it. Because, again, why fear? 
the fear that I'll get the same result this time. And you may, I don't know, you might, you may even get the same result again. But again, have I told my son when, you know, they, you know, they go to middle school, everybody struggles in middle school. He came home, he's like, it's so hard to make friends and stuff. I go, you got to look under every rock. Got to look under every rock. It's the same thing here. Somebody who's trying to move away from an orphan spirit to the Holy Spirit. You got to keep turning them over to see, to find those safe people, those godly people that are there. Sometimes there's another kind of fear, and it's the fear that if I get close to somebody, I'm going to be a burden to them, or I'm going to make their lives worse because I'm disgusting, because I'm a piece of crap, because I'm such a broken, horrible person. For me to pursue this person for friendship would be harming them. Yeah, it'd be harming them, but even also the idea that Let's say they don't know that. As they get to know me, they're going to see how ugly I am. Right? So, yeah, but there are, there are people who are going to be, I I need to stay away. I can't invest in others because I am so broken. I am so broken. And, And again, yes, you're broken, but you're not that broken. That, you know, that God can't make a difference that again we just need to go through scriptures and we look at the people that God utilized. Okay, they're all broken. They would never be the people you would pick or I would pick. You know, I go, I go on down and I'm looking for twelve disciples. Those aren't the guys I'm looking for. <laughs> you know, I'm looking for the movers and shakers. I'm looking for the guys who have all the big ideas. I'm looking for the people who are going to surround myself with people who are going to ensure success. Yeah, maybe that rich young ruler, maybe he would be a good... Yeah, right. Don't don't put so much a burden on him about getting rid of everything, you know? But again, our ways are not God's ways. Yeah. I mean, he chose Abraham to be the father of our faith, who trafficked his own wife. Right. Twice. Not one. (laughs) I mean, you know, I mean, Moses murdered Noah, who's a drunk. I mean, we can keep going on Rahab, the prostitute. I mean, we keep going and going and going with that. You know, David, who's, you know, again, one of, for my own heart, who murders and, you know, seduces another man's wife. Solomon, who has a concubine of hundreds, if not thousands of women. Eddie Caparucci. Who's a complete womanizer for so many years and decades? Okay, who destroyed marriages, ruined people's lives at times, left scorched earth in behind, and he used him to help other men understand their brokenness, how they can learn to manage it. So everyone has a shame label. Yeah. Everyone has one of those name tags. We do, all of them. How did God remove your shame label? It was a process to do so. Um, and the, the key to all of it, to remove that shame label, was my understanding that he saw the brokenness and flaws in me, but he also understood why I got that way. He saw all of that. 
which I didn't see because I had no, I couldn't connect dots and figure out how to, when your father died, when you're five and your mother have a nervous breakdown, you get shipped out to relatives you don't know that that could cause something called the, you know, an attachment disorder. Like, I don't know that at five. All I know is mommy and daddy aren't here. Nobody's telling me anything and that. And then you have all these sisters who need to try to raise you and they don't want to have anything to do with you. So, you know, you spend a lot of time isolated on, on your own. And all you feel is like, oh, nobody cares. Nobody loves me. And the people who, who say they love you are not dependable and they will leave you. Well, you know what, Jude? Screw that. I'm leaving first. So therefore, it's one foot in, one foot out. Always looking for the next thing. That, that's what it became. And But what God did to remove my shame label by letting me see the entire picture to say, you know what, the circumstances that happened in your early life put you in this position that, you know what, unless there was somebody else who intervened and I can bring somebody in there to intervene because there was a method to my madness to get you here, is that, you know what, you didn't have a chance. You were, It was all self-protection. Now, now that you know, what are you going to do? I'm going to get well. I'm going to then take what I know and I'm going to share it with others. I'm going to use my testimony to be able to give other people hope that, oh, guess what? Your life can change. It can be very different. You can transform. It was interesting. I, I um, I did a workshop down at the American Association of Christian Counselors uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, down in Orlando. And I was up on stage and my wife was sitting in the back and I started talking a little bit about, you know, my past, what I was and the way I acted and all of this. And after we got done uh, that night at dinner, she said, you know what, you're talking about yourself and the way, you know, the kind of man you were, your attitude. And she goes, I sat back there thinking, that's not him. He's telling these people, this is this is me. You know, he goes, that you know, I'm a liar. I go, shoot, that's not you. She goes, I found it so hard to connect everything. But that's what transformation is. Yeah. By the way, in all of our interactions, you have been one of the most consistent, dependable, present men who I've met. Thank you. So to hear you say that you were the guy who would always leave and tap out and quit is just so redemptive. And I think each of us, when we go through transformation, those places where we were wounded can become our superpowers. Yes, they can definitely become superpowers. There's no doubt about it. Because why? Because I know how to manage the pain. I know how to manage all of that. So I could take what was evil and use it for good. Amen. That, and actually, that's God doing that. But but I can allow that to happen. You know, I could say, yes, I will do this. And that's what it is. And with that came the removal of the shame label. And with that, then became the prince of a king. Not the not a perfect prince, not a perfect prince, but I'm the prince of a king. With a label of honor, label of value. 
with a label of glory and belovedness. When you imagine the expression on God's face, what do you see? I see a smile. I see a smile. I see. I, I see something. Something. I see open arm. I, I, I take me back to the prodigal son, where he actually races. He does something that you know men back then would never do, and that's lift up his garment and show your ankles. You don't do that, and he did that. Were, didn't care about the embarrassment of what other people would think, and therefore ran. So yes, I, I do. I, I I see that, and I, I look forward to the day, you know, where I see him face to face. You know, um, I'm glad Jesus is going to be standing by me. I'm going to need him there, <laughs> <laughs> or I'm not going to get very far in that conversation. There, but I'm glad Jesus is going to be there for me. But no, I, I I look forward so much. I I do I do spend a lot of time thinking about what is to come. I've looked through the Bible a lot and do other reading to see what is heaven, what is it going to be like for us. And again, there's little that we know at the point, but all I know is that there will be peace. There will be love. There'll be a love like we've never, ever imagined before. An intensity that we can't even comprehend. You know, a love that's as bright as the sun. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking for the day that I can go and play with lions and, and bears. And, you know, I could jump off, you know, a hundred foot waterfall and not be fearful. I'm looking forward to all of that kind of stuff. Am I going to trust that or grasp for what I can get right now? That's the question, my friend. I look at it this way. Let's say I'm wrong. Let's say I'm wrong. Let's, let's say, let's say, you know, I've been duped. Still entrusting that. I'm still living a better life now than I did when I was going to grasp what I thought I needed. I'm at more peace in the last 25 years than I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah. When you gave up control and surrendered. Yeah. I got to do that again tomorrow. Yeah, every single day. Every single day. I think it's important for us to always make sure that, you know, when we're talking to people that they fully understand that, you know, it's not like, oh, oh, we surrendered. Guess what? We're good. Everything's great, guys. You know, and that's why I love about you because you're very much like me. You, you put your stuff, you put yourself out there. You put your junk out there. You know, I put my junk out there. You say, yeah, I am not, I am not perfect. And, and if you don't believe me, I'll bring my wife in and she can, she can share some of that with you. And we feel free to do that because we are God's beloved sons. That's correct. Right. And we know we are loved and we are accepted despite, despite our brokenness. Therefore, I am able to share openly. I'm able to pursue others vulnerably. I'm able to voice my own boundaries and step away from abusive situations that are putting me back into that orphaned place. And I really need to practice because I'm not very good, but I'm getting better every day. You are, you are. But see, that's why I wrote the book, Removing Your Shame Label book, because I wanted to give people the hope 
and the encouragement. You didn't have to live or feel the way you feel about yourself, despite whatever got on in your past. Okay. And, and that's why with this book, I think it's given a, a lot of people a sense of, you know, what's interesting about this book. Some people are like kind of reluctant to pick it up because they're like, I don't have shame. But then they do. And as they read it, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm loaded with shame. Because <laughs> <laughs> we all do. We all have shame of some kind. You know, now we may have done a good job processing through some of it, but it still lingers. It's still there. It may not be toxic shame, but it's still shame that we have to be careful of and manage in the right way. But I mean, that that's what the whole point of the book was. It was like, you are accepted. And that's a lot of it. It's incredible. The reason that the book was written was because as I was in my practice, in my private practice, I was amazed by the number of Christians who were coming in filled with all this negative self-talk, but worse yet, putting a wall up between them and God because they felt they weren't deserving of him. And it was like, no, 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 no. That's not what this is. And so that's why I spelled it out in that book. And while reading a book can certainly help, one thing that I appreciate that you said is that we need to be shown this acceptance because sometimes the words don't break through. We have our walls up. We need to experience it to really believe it. So I'm just thinking to myself here, could you speak a little bit to what God's voice sounds like when he's responding to our shame in order to show his heart? Okay, and, and I'll take it right out of the book. It is that God calls us before him and says, show me your shame. Not that I want to sit there and poke away at it and tell you why you deserve those feelings, but because I want to remove it from you. That's the way God sees it. He doesn't want us to be dealing with shame. He understands that there is no positive element that comes out of a toxic shame that we could be enduring in our life. So he wants to take it away from us and let us see ourselves the way he sees us. Because we've been, we've been polluted through events circumstances and people in our lives what happened and the and the outcomes of that we got fed a bunch of lies about ourselves and we've taken those lies and, and they are now beliefs we believe it I'm I'm not that smart. I'll ne- I won't be able to accomplish that. I'm not lovable. You know, I, I keep I go on and on and on. There's hundreds of them. We have to get rid of those. We, and the only way to really get rid of those is to put them to truth. To say, how does God see this? How does God see this? 
And when we look at that, and we look at scripture, and we see what God thinks about us, yes, understanding we're broken, but nevertheless, accepting us and loving us, despite. Yeah, looking at us with compassion. Speaking to us with tenderness. And what I heard in your your portrayal was God wanting to protect us from the toxic shame and saying, you don't deserve this. This was never yours. And, and taking it from us, taking it onto himself. That's what Jesus did. On the cross, he took our shame label. Yeah. And like I said, that, and, and that label of a, the princess or prince of a king is so strong. It get you through so many trying times. Well, that's the label that belongs to Jesus, and he's given it to us because he's the beloved son of God. And he says, here you go. Now give me your label. And even that label of orphan, because on the cross, he said, my God, you know, my father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you orphaned me? Right. That was the intensity of all the sin that was falling upon him, that God just couldn't bear to look at. No, because why? Because God is love. God is good. God is light. God detests sin. But he doesn't detest us. What an amazing God. How great is our God. And to think that he would choose to come and live in us and get close to our sin. Just like when he was born in a manger, uh, it was a very smelly place full of poop. That's what I think about with our hearts, that sometimes they're smelly and they're full of poop. And he says, I'm going to live there. Right. And I'm I'm going to clean it up. He's cleaning it up. Now, it'll never be fully clean by the time we get to the day of judgment. Well, in fact, we probably could be light years away from that. But yet, there's that process, that ongoing process of transformation that allows us to build this sense of confidence, even despite the fact that I may not be perfect in everything I do, but confident in the fact that I'm on the right path. I look at Jesus and I say, my king, and I serve as a knight for my king. I am here to be loyal to you, to honor you because of what you've done for me. One of the things I I love about what Jesus says as well is in Mark chapter two, even Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that amazing that even Jesus would use the language of my son to talk to us? The voice of Jesus corrects, but never condemns. Very much. And we see that time and time again, don't we? Time and time. So again, if if he refuses to condemn us, why do we continue to condemn us? That's our brokenness. And we have to face it. We have to sit with it. We have to process through it. We have to put it to truth. Yeah. We got to feel it to heal it. Correct. Got to feel it to heal it. And that's what we're learning how to do here at Husband Material. That's what we're learning how to do 
in singleness, marriage, work, church, every part of life. We're growing up. We are maturing. It's a long process. I'm a little bitter about that. <laughs> I'm like, why can't it be shorter? Eddie, what is your favorite thing about being God's beloved son? Oh, it's just it's it's the sense of a peace. It's a peace that I have that I don't have to be perfect. I mean, as you if you ran through the list of, you know, adjective before of you know, again, the compassion and the understanding, the patience that he has with me, so much more than I have with myself. I mean, it's, it's those kind of things, you know, the, the, the sense, the awe of what his love must be to me, because I still don't understand that. Okay, I still I still struggle with you know the whole idea of Romans five five for you know for have hope for through the Holy Spirit God's love has been placed into our heart. It's like I must have missed that line. I don't. I wasn't there when that happened. What happened there? So I can't wait for that day when I feel the intensity of what that is. That those are just some of the things that I. I enjoy most about that. Yeah. This treasure chest of our sonship, of our adoption from orphans to beloved children of the Most High King, it's just endless. We can keep digging down through it and never get to the bottom. No. There's so many treasures to be found, but you have to let them in. You have to accept him. And when we dig them up and realize, wow, I'm already accepted. I'm already loved. I'm already important. Yes, correct. That frees me to go and take risks and pursue freedom and and do the things that I never would have had the courage to do. Very much so. Very much so. And that's why I said with that, with all of that, you need also a sense of peace that, you know what? Even though I take the courage, I may fail at something. It's okay. It's okay. I don't, we don't have to be perfect. None of you have to be perfect. You just have to be willing to accept. Yeah. We just have to be present. Right. Eddie, thank you so much for being on the show again. Thank you, Drew. As I said, it's always a pleasure. I always have a good time with you. Enjoy it. And I look forward to our next time of getting together. Me too. And actually, our last time of spending a weekend together was at the Husband Material virtual retreat back in February on Healing the Inner Child. And I wanted to let everybody know that the recording of that is now available in the Husband Material community. So you can go back and get six hours of video teaching going deeper into the inner child and what it looks like to take this journey. If people should understand, that's not six hours of just looking at me the whole time. There are other you know, leaders that are there that are also involved in the whole process. It was an amazing weekend, and I think people got so much out of it. And I'm so glad that we were able to be able to capture all of it so that we can offer it 
to those who didn't have the opportunity to be there. Because there's just a wealth of knowledge that comes there. But even more importantly, in offering a sense of real hope that change is possible. Change is possible. Because, as I always remind you all, you are God's beloved son, and in you, he is well-pleased. <laughs>